Now we're coming to the message for uh, this uh, little program that we're doing for you today, and we're coming to Acts chapter 1. You remember that last uh, week I was sharing with you from John's Gospel chapter 21, where Jesus came and met with the disciples at the Sea of Galilee, where he met with Peter and questioned him and then said to him, follow me. And I said that that was an important bridge to take us from John's uh, record of Peter's failure in chapter 18 to the record that we have of Peter's ministry in the book of Acts. So, having come from that, we're now into Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 is the continuation of Luke's message to his friend Theophilus. There is an overlap in the first few verses of this wonderful book of Acts uh, from Luke chapter 24. This is an action-packed book, the book of Acts. And when we were reading it, there were two things that were very important to me in what Jesus said. The disciples were interested to know that uh, whether the Savior had come to set up an earthly kingdom. And he said, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons, but here is the most and more important thing for you at this point in your lives. Ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. That's a most important passage and preparation for the ministry which these men were going to be involved in for the rest of their lives. As we read through this New Testament book, you find New Testament Christianity in its purest form. Dr. Luke wrote it in addition to his gospel, and he addressed this same friend, Theophilus, whose name means a lover of God. After reading the gospel record, Theophilus would be curious to know what happened after the Lord's departure. And Luke's gospel records what Jesus began to do and teach in his earthly life and ministry. But Acts of the Apostles record tells us what Jesus continued to do by his Spirit through his church. The first 14 verses, as I have already intimated, are an overlap from the last verses or the concluding verses of the gospel. Theophilus, therefore, had an unbroken account of the genesis and the growth of the gospel covering the first 60 years since the birth of Jesus Christ. Now the time has come for the Lord to return to his Father's right hand. He has spent 40 days with his disciples coming and going, uh, showing himself to them and then uh, departing from them. But now the time has come when he is going to leave them permanently as far as physical presence is concerned. But he had promised to them that he would send another one and yet the same. He would send the Comforter. And of course, we know who that is, the Blessed Holy Spirit. And these are his important last words found in verse 8, which I've just read. There are also, in the very next verse or two, verse 11 actually, also important first words. The important last words and the important first words. And the last words are, Ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. But the first words, after he had departed from them, were these, Ye men of Galilee... 
Why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Now there are four dominating facts that were going to control their minds or take up their thinking after this moment when he was departing from them. Verse 3, he showed himself alive by many infallible proofs. And so there is the established proof. What is the established proof that they have? Well, it is this, that the Lord Jesus Christ is really alive. His resurrection is genuine. He wasn't stolen away. He wasn't secreted away somewhere or spirited away somewhere uh, that they didn't really know where he was. But in all of these 40 days, appearances happened again and again, and not just by a few, but at one occasion, over 500 people saw him at one time. I believe in the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not secreted away somewhere to be revealed in a future day. No, he's alive, the tomb is empty, and praise God, our Jesus really lives. The official Jewish story was that the disciples had stolen the body, and the believers had to be able to refute that story. Now, some had doubted, but the doubts were now gone. The king is alive, and the kingdom project is intact. He spoke of things pertaining to the kingdom of God, primarily the time when he would restore Israel, Make her the head and not the tail, set up his reign at Jerusalem. But for us today, his kingdom is the progress of the gospel. There will come a time when the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. But right now we're involved in the ministry of the spiritual kingdom, reaching men and women for Jesus Christ, the salvation of boys and girls. The mission that you were hearing about in those early days, the records of many, many hundreds, yes, and thousands of people over a period of time who had come into the saving grace of Jesus Christ is recorded in a book called The Spirit of Revival. And it really was a time of genuine and gracious awakening. Many people were saved and great numbers were sanctified holy in those early days of fifth mission ministry. And his kingdom grew and still grows and it goes on today in every continent of earth because Jesus is alive. Hallelujah for the glorious message that Christianity's founder lived died and lives again after the power of an endless life. Let me ask you a question. Does this living Savior mean anything to you? Does he live within your heart? Or is he just a figure of history? Bless the Lord, because Jesus lives, he can live within our hearts today by his Spirit. And it's very important to remember that except a man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. We are born with our backs to God, with our faces toward a hellish eternity, and we are on that way to destruction unless we come to the cross and are transformed by the grace of God. So there is a living Savior to whom we are accountable. 
And the Bible says that there's going to be a day of judgment, and God has ordained that because uh, the Savior is alive. If he's not alive, there's no, there's nothing to preach, and there's no judgment to face. But if he's alive, there is both a message to preach, and there's a judgment to be faced. Not only is there the established proof, but there is also the emphasized power. In the reading that we have given to you today, verse 4, Jesus said, Do not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. There are many promises in the Bible, but there is one promise that is called the promise. The promise that is prefixed by the definite article, the promise, the promise that there would come someone in Jesus' place. There would come the comforter, the paraclete, as it's referred to, the one alongside to help. Do not depart from Jerusalem until you have the comforter with you and in you. Then in verse 5, he says, You shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. And he said, in addition to that, you shall receive power. So the promise is a promised one. Pentecost was God's seal upon the Messiahship of Jesus. It was the fulfillment of his promise to Israel. And now it has happened. And here we have a promise given. But there is also a person expressed in this, and it is the person of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not a force, not some sort of impersonal influence, but a divine third person of the divine trinity, someone who comes to speak, to guide, to teach, to lead, to introduce, and he comes to introduce us to Jesus. He is Christ's advocate, and the office of an advocate is to be a representative of another. So he comes to the believer to represent the Lord Jesus Christ, to interpret and vindicate Christ, to administer for Christ in his church and kingdom, and to be to the believers all that the Lord Jesus Christ was to his disciples, but with this added significance and dimension, he would be in them. He shall be with you, and he shall be in you, said the Lord Jesus. And he was going to come to abide. He was the coming comforter, and he is coming to abide with you. And praise God for the promise. When they returned to Jerusalem, they went back with the words of the promise ringing in their ears, and I'm sure firing their hearts. And he said, don't launch out into the work of the kingdom until the power of the Spirit comes upon your lives. Again, Mr. Stewart was emphasizing that in the narrative regarding John George Govan and those who came alongside him and worked with him. And what a tremendous evidence there was of a solid, genuine, and lasting work of heart-cleansing and spiritfulness. I could never place too much emphasis on that important dimension for believers today and especially for those who are involved in the work of the Lord, to press through with God, 
to be all that he wants us to be, and for the Holy Spirit to make real in us all that the Lord Jesus Christ purchased for us on Calvary's cross. Free salvation for all sinners and full salvation from all sin. And if you want to serve the Lord and accomplish his will with the greatest effectiveness, then it is that dimension of inward endowment that gives you the wherewithal to serve the Lord effectively. F.B. Mayer made this observation. He said, How little power average Christians have. They wave the censor between the living and the dead, but the plague is not stayed. Like Gehazi, they lay the staff on the face of the dead child, but life does not return. That's a summation of the church, perhaps, in many areas, but also of individual believers. There is a weakness, an immaturity, a dwarfishness, not the grand pageant of victory and triumph and heart-cleansing and heart-fullness and power and passion in ministry and in prayer today that is so important and was so evident in the apostles and in the disciples and in the early church. He said, I want you to have that Spirit's outpouring on your lives. He will be outpoured in a few days' time. Thank the Lord today. We don't have to wait like the first disciples. The Spirit has been given because, as John says in chapter 7, the Lord Jesus Christ is now glorified. And now he wants to come and fill every nook and cranny of our lives to be purified and uh, filled with his unlimited power and nature and to be to us the Spirit of holiness and the Spirit of power, the Spirit who is promised. Not only is there that significant emphasis in the passage that we read just a little while ago, the established proof that Jesus Christ is alive, the emphasized power that the Spirit will come and fit you for service, but also there is the extensive program. He said, You shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. That's the key verse of the entire book. And it was God's blueprint for the early church. God worked to a plan. He still does. And we have the dynamic power for the church, the Holy Ghost, the Spirit. Then we have the geographical spread of the gospel. Jerusalem, close to where they were, right in the city where the Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. There is Judea and Samaria, chapters 8 and 9 of the book of Acts. Then there's the Gentiles and the ends of the earth, from chapter 10 onwards to chapter 28. And the significant thing is that the book of Acts does not finish with an amen. Why? Because it's not just the Acts of the Apostles, it's the Acts of the Spirit. And this ministry of the Spirit is an ongoing ministry. And wherever we live, we begin at home and extend to the uttermost parts of the earth. It was Oswald J. Smith, the great missionary statesman and preacher, who said, The light that shines the furthest will shine the brightest at home. And I pray today that we might be up and doing in these last fast-closing days of time. And of course, 
There is that last thought as we come to the end of our program uh, just in a few moments' time. There is the exciting prospect. Not only did the Savior leave them a promise that he would be with them, he would fit them for service and equip them to carry the message to the ends of the earth, and rejoice we do today in that wonderful reality and the knowledge that thousands and thousands of people are coming to Jesus Christ in different parts of the world, but there is the exciting prospect that Jesus Christ is coming again. This was the first message that came to the these men after the Savior ascended from the Mount of Olives. Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye here gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. It was Dr. Horatio Bonner who used to pull his curtains in the evening, but before doing so and retiring for the night, he would say, Perhaps tonight I am ready. In the morning when he would draw the curtains back, he would say, Perhaps today. I'm ready. What was he meaning? What was the significance of it? Perhaps tonight Jesus will come. Perhaps today Jesus will come. Someday, soon, unexpectedly, he will come again. He hasn't given us a date. He hasn't given us a time. But he has surely given us evidences, signals, signs, things that tell us that the time is at hand. And my dear friends today, as we look out around the world and look across the moral world and the financial world and the uh, different pestilences and different things that are benighting the nations of earth, all these are telling us today that this is the climax of the age of grace. We are coming near to the Lord's return. Let me ask you a question. Are you living in the light of his return? Are you watching and waiting? Are you watching upward? Because today he may come. Tonight he may come. Let's be watching and waiting, looking above. As Fanny Crosby said, filled with his goodness and lost in his love. You know, the friend who read this, Theophilus, Luke's friend, He had learned a lot, and it must have made a great impact on his life as he read Luke's gospel record. And then as he would read this letter about the Acts of the Apostles and the ministry of the Spirit, so much that he could learn, not just learn with the head, but so much that he could embrace with the heart. And it is my desire today that you might not just learn with your head, but also that you might embrace with your heart the message of a Savior who has come and lived and died and lives again. And someone who, though he is no longer with us in body, has left his spirit to empower his church, to cleanse the children of God, to infill their lives, to empower them to serve him, not just at home, though there for sure, but all around the world, and if not by our physical presence, by spirit-anointed praying to touch the world 
on our knees in prayer. Oh, that this day might find us at our post, fitted for service, ready to serve the Lord. 